So uh, we'll keep an eye on the candy barrel there and make sure it's not going down too fast. Right, boys? All right. Well, praise the Lord for uh, another Wednesday evening. Praise the Lord. Uh, Hopefully this is the last time I have to preach for a while. And uh, I spoke with Pastor a little while uh, yesterday, I believe it was, and they're doing well, and and, uh, he's looking forward to getting back. Well, let's take your Bibles with me tonight, and we're going we're gonna to actually start at John chapter 8. Uh, so if you want to find John chapter 8. Um, what is discipleship? That's what, we've, that's what we've been talking about for the past three Wednesday evenings. And um, just quickly review what we've said so far. We, we, we've said so far that discipleship requires commitment. And by commitment, we, we meant putting God first in our lives, not, not seeing if we can make room for God in our schedules, but building our lives around God. Uh, I think families, I think you ought to build your schedule around God. I think, I think Wednesday evenings and Sundays are church time, and, and I think you ought to plan your schedules around that. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying anyone ought to do this, and I'm not patting myself on the back for doing it, but several years ago, when I had to uh, get employment, right after we were saved, as a matter of fact, um, the recession in Louisiana caused me and my father to have to close our business, and I had to go out and get a, get a job working for someone. And I, and I was a bus captain. I ran a Sunday school bus. I was the song leader in the church. I was a Sunday school teacher. So I, um, I, would, go and I would go interview for a job, and I, I would tell them, I will not take a job where I have to work on Wednesday nights, on Saturdays, or on Sundays. You'd say, man, if you do that, you're not going to find a job. You know, I've never had trouble finding a job. Uh, because when you put God first, uh, things always work out. They always work out. So a discipleship requires commitment, which is putting God first in your life. Secondly, we said that discipleship requires conformity. Conformity to Jesus and his teachings. Uh, by the way, who can tell me where we find Jesus' teachings? In the Word of God, right? <laughs> here, here they are. They're not found in a, in, a, in a catechism manual. They're not found in a watchtower. They're not found in the Book of Mormons. Jesus' principles are found in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and we're to conform to Jesus' teaching. We're not to rewrite the Bible to make Jesus' principles fit our lives. We're to change our lives to fit Jesus' principles. And that's what you do. Young people, young people, you don't, you don't search and find a church where you can do what you want and feel good. Uh, you change your life to the principles of, of God, and you put God at first in your life. Then we said, thirdly, discipleship requires conduct. And by conduct, we, we talked about a fruitful life, a life of righteousness, a life of good works. That's why we were saved. We were, we were, we were ordained by God to, 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 to have good works, that we might live in good works. And uh, the old nature, the old sinful nature, has, is dead. Uh, it died with, uh, the old nature died with Christ on the cross. The problem is, we don't have the old nature anymore, we have the old flesh. And the old flesh still wants what it used to have. It still wants to do the things it wanted to, it did in the past. So, uh, we, we, but we've been given a new nature. We've been given the nature of Christ and we've been given a, a new uh, propensity we talked about and a new desire to do right. So we have to, 
we have to uh, uh, bring that, that, that new life uh, to the forefront and, and have a good conduct. And then number four, we said that discipleship requires compassion. And by compassion, we talked about a love for the brethren. It all starts there. You know, so many people try to be, try to have compassion for the lost, try to have compassion for the world, but they don't have compassion for their own brothers and sisters. You know, love starts at home. Amen? If you don't learn to love your parents, you're never going to love your brothers and sisters, your siblings. And if you don't love your siblings, you're never going to learn to love anyone else. So it all starts, love starts at home. We have to learn to love one another. And, and Jesus said that if you and I love each other, men will know that we're his disciples by that very thing. So we, we talked about having compassion. Now, if you notice the qualities that we've discussed concerning a disciple up to this point, I believe you'll see that what God is doing is he's building a person in the image of his own son. Because certainly Jesus was a man of commitment. He was a man of conformity to to biblical truth. He was a man of good conduct. He was a man of compassion. So God is building us. He's, he's, and, and this has uh, been the theme of all the messages I've preached, actually. The, this is the ninth message I've preached in the last three weeks. And all of these messages have all really focused on the same thing. That, that God is making us into the image of his son. And, and that is a continual work that will go on until we die. By the way, uh, I, got, I got good news and bad news for you. God's doing the work. That's the good news. The bad news is it doesn't stop until we get to heaven. <laughs> so all the twisting and breaking and, and, and all the little things that God is doing to us will continue until we, we, until we come forth uh, as Jesus. And when will that be? Well, that will be uh, when we're in heaven with him at the rapture. So uh, tonight I want to put the icing on the cake. I want to I talk about one more uh, one more characteristic of a disciple, uh, and then we'll be done. And so tonight, number five, uh, the fifth requirement of a disciple is continuance. And by continuance, I mean keeping the faith. Look with me at John chapter 8, and let's look at verse number 31 together. John chapter 8, and verse 31, and I'll read verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. Lord, we do pray tonight that you would comfort those grieving members of our church, uh, in, in the Morrow family and the Chambly family, we ask, Lord, that you would, and the Sharon family, we ask that you would touch their hearts and, and comfort them and give them peace during this time of loss. And then, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach the word of God tonight. We pray that you would bless the teaching of your word, and we pray that you would empower the teaching of your word. And I pray that tonight we would all develop a desire to be good stewards of God's word and, and be disciples in Christ. Thank you for this time together. We ask that you would bless it, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, 
Then are you my disciples indeed. This is perseverance, by the way. The doctrine of perseverance, which is so, which is so lost in our churches today. This is the, this is the, the belief that uh, children of God continue in his word. There are many people who profess to know Christ and then fall by the wayside. Uh, and Jesus, as a matter of fact, said that in that day men will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name and in thy name have done wonderful works? Jesus said, I will say unto them, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting punishment, for I never knew you. So certainly uh, anyone can start. Anyone can start in the word of God. Anyone can start going to a church. Anyone can start cleaning up their life. Anyone can start making changes. But it's that continuance. You see, Jesus said his children, his disciples continue. They, they endure. They persevere. Let me make a statement here. Faith is hoping for that which seems unattainable and seeing that which cannot be seen. That's what faith is. How many of you have seen Jesus? Any of you? I'm not talking about a, 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 an artist's rendition or, or, or anything like that. Any of you seen Jesus? No. But we believe in him, don't we? Do we? <laughs> we have faith. And we, we, we see that which cannot be seen. So faith is hoping for that which seems unattainable and seeing that which cannot be seen. As believers... We are given by God faith. And what we do with this faith that was given to us by God will determine whether or not we are disciples of Christ. So tonight, with the time that I have, let us examine the faith of a disciple of Christ. This is what I find from the scripture. Uh, This is the, the, the type of faith that a disciple has. So, First of all, tonight, letter A, a disciple lives by faith. A disciple will live by faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, we read, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see that term there, faith to faith? You see, a Christian... A disciple goes from from situation to situation in his life living by faith. I'll give you an example. We all know that this area has, has, has seen some recessive periods and people have moved and left. Some people can no longer afford to put their children in a Christian school. So enrollments have come down and, and, and of course, the finances have gotten a lot tighter. And this last school year, we needed to raise uh, some money to help the school, to help supplement the budget in the school. And, and uh, we had uh, one week to go, and we, we, we had $11,000 in faith promise pledges, and only 7000 of it had come in. And with only two more days to go in the school year, $13,000 came in, and we now had over $20,000 in faith promise money. 9,000 more than was pledged. 
Why? Because God says, just trust me. I will make it work. This is why people fail to tithe, because they don't trust. They can't see. They can't see how they can possibly afford to tithe. So they don't tithe. They withhold the tithe. But God says, just trust me. If, if God has to have a, a, a bag of money fall out of the sky into your lap, then that's what he'll do. I, I've, I've, seen that, I've seen almost that in my life, by the way. The, the, a disciple will live by faith. Jesus said the, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Living each moment of our life by faith. This is a direct quote from the Old Testament in Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4, where we read, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And there's a comparison we see here in Habakkuk. The proud man, the man that trusts in his own righteousness or his own works is an unjust soul, an unjust man. But yet we see the righteousness of of God, the just man, the man that is justified by Christ alone. He is a just soul, a redeemed man. This man lives by his faith in God and God alone. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. That's faith. And he shall direct thy paths. We need to learn to live by faith. Jesus reminded us that the unsaved man frets and worries about the things of life. He told us, though, that the children of God have no need for concern. We're not going to turn to it and read it. it uh, you know these verses, but in Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 through 34, Jesus tells us to take no thought for all the concerns and cares of life. We've, we've just, uh, pastors just preached on that in his Sunday morning series. Consider that for a moment. Jesus said, take no thought. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about shelter. Your God's already, God's already promised to give you those things. He's already said you will have them. What God wants you to do is, is concern yourself with the kingdom of God, with his works of righteousness. He wants you to concern yourself with being honest, being just, being equitable. He wants you to concern yourself with being a witness. He wants you to concern yourself with rearing your children to have faith in him and know him. These are the things he wants you to concern yourself with. He says, don't worry about all the other things. People have come to me and they've said, is it a sin to worry? Well, let me answer that question this way. If we believe that God is in control of all things then we should know that God's will will be done in every aspect of our lives. And if God's will is always done, then worry is useless. Right? Because it doesn't matter how much you worry about it, if it's God's will, it's going to be. Oh, I hope I get that new job. Well, don't worry about it. Because if it's God's will, you'll get it. If it's not God's will, you won't. I've been telling people this about our ministries and our works here for years. Our school. I've been telling people for years. 
If it's God's will that we have a school, then we don't need to worry. We just need to work and do what we need to do to have, a, to have the right kind of school and do the right things. And, and, and how the school makes it is God's business, not mine. And conversely, if it's not God's will that we have a school, it doesn't matter what we do, it's going to fail. Amen? So why worry about it? <laughs> what good does worry do? Gives you ulcers? Makes you nervous? Makes you irritable? Just don't worry about it. This is what Jesus meant when he said, why take ye thought? Now worry questions God's faithfulness and integrity. When you worry about something that God's word has already told you that he will provide for you, when you fret and worry about that, what you're doing is you're saying God is unfaithful. He can't be trusted. But in Numbers chapter 23, the word of God tells us, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Is God a liar? Can you depend on God? Then quit worrying. Do everything you can. Dads, be the hardest worker you can be. Be the best employee on the job. When you show up for work, you be the hardest working man there. You do everything exactly the way your boss expects you to do it. He shouldn't have to tell you to do it. Just get there and do it. Moms, be the, be, if, you're, if, if you're a working mom, then you be the best employee you can be on the job. Don't, you know what? Don't hang out with everybody who's griping about the, the, the company. Boy, I tell you, get away from people like that. There's nothing worse for you than that. Well, I tell you, this company, you know what you ought to tell them? Hey, you know what? You don't like it? Go get another job. I like this job. I like working here. Th- this is the attitude we have to have. The hardest thing for any of us to do, however, is to put aside our fears and concerns and to live our life, go forward with confidence that no matter what, we'll be okay. But that's what the Word of God tells us. In Romans 8, 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And whether or not that means we live or die, if it's in God's will, then it's the best thing for us. You know, by the way, I shared, this, this, I shared uh, a passage of Scripture yesterday with the families as I was at uh, Memorial Hospital. The Bible says in Psalm 116, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You see, we view, we view things different than God does. God sees things. God sees the entire thing. We only see that circumstance. So sometimes things in life happen that we don't think are so great, but God knows what's best. And we have to learn to trust him and not worry and not fret and live our lives knowing that whether I live or whether I die, I'm in the hands of the Lord and all things will work out for me to be the best. And I tell you what, if you can learn to live like that, you'll be a happier person. You'll sleep well at night. You won't have indigestion all the time. Prolisec will go out of business. (laughs) So, live by faith. Secondly, number two, disciples contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. In Jude, verse 3, we read, Beloved, 
when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, the word contend has several meanings. And all of these meanings can be, can be brought down into two central thoughts. Struggle and uh, preservation. Struggle and preservation. Those are the two central thoughts of the word contend. So let's look at these one at a time. First, let's look at struggle. What exactly do we mean when we speak about a struggle for the faith? Well, we do not imply that one should be mean-spirited or argumentative over this faith. In other words, we shouldn't be going around like bullies and looking down our nose at everyone else. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul, Paul admonishes us, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So Paul tells us, he doesn't, it's not right for us to go around picking fights and, and being a bully. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, the word of God tells us, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So... Uh, it's not for us to go around fighting about it. I'm very weary of the fight that is taking place among Christians today, the hateful and the hurtful actions and, 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 and words taken by so many, the cutting and critical things being said about other churches and other pastors. The Bible condemns this type of behavior. God will take care of, of those uh, that spread lies, uh, I, don't, I don't need to fight with them. God will wage his own battles. When we discuss a struggle for the faith, what we are primarily discussing is the struggle within our own heart and mind, not the struggle with other people. The main emphasis that Jude is talking about here when he's talking about contending for the faith, if you, if you read the book of Jude, is because there's a struggle taking place in, in our own heart and mind over the right doctrines and the right truths. In Galatians 5 and verses 16 and 17, Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Listen, can I remind you of something? there will always be people who disagree with us. There are always going to be people who do not like our doctrine. There are always going to be people who are going to attack what we believe. So uh, it's, a, it's a meaningless and useless fight to fight over that. The struggle here that we're talking about, the contention is in our own heart. Paul said that we sh- we're not to be like children, tossed to and fro, uh, by by the, every, every wind of doctrine, we're to, we're to know what we believe, and we're to stand firm on what we believe. And if others don't believe it, so be it. That's God's battle, not mine. My battle is within my own heart to live my life with, with the correct doctrine and to live my life walking worthy of my Father, producing good works and, and works of righteousness. Now, without a doubt, though, there will be times when we will have to argue our position, uh, our position in the faith. These are called the apologetics, the Christian apologetics. 
I took, I took uh, time this year to teach the Christian apologetics to our school students. Uh, and there will be times when we'll have to do that. But how do we do that? How do we contend in that way? Well, we do it through our preaching and teaching. Not by personal attacks. Or, as Paul stated, by biting and devouring one another. But there is a second thought surrounding the word contend, and that's the word preservation. The thought here is one of maintaining or or defending one's doctrine. It would imply uh, staying true to the principles of God's word as taught and believed in a continuum from the beginning until now. In other words, it would, it would imply being true to God's word as it was preached in the, in the days, as, as Peter stood and, at Pentecost and preached, and today. Our, our faith should be the same. Our, our doctrines should be the same. Let me make another statement. I contend for the faith by my constancy to do those things I know to be true, regardless of the resistance or the persecution I may face for doing so. You want to contend for the faith? That's how you do it right there. You want to contend for the faith? Be constant in the things you do. Be constant in your doctrine. Be constant in your faith regardless of what, how much resistance or what persecution you face. And that's how you contend for the faith. So we're to live by faith, we're to contend for the faith. Then, thirdly, we're to stand with faith. Stand with faith. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 together. Let's all go there, Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through 17. Paul writes here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is so important to remember that we are in a battle that cannot be fought by human means. In this war, men are not killed by smart bombs or guided missiles. We do not dodge bullets or grenades. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our weapons in this war are the word of God and faith. We must wield the sword of the Spirit and allow it to do what only it can do. In Romans chapter 10, Paul states, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here we see that it's the, it's the word of God that, that does the battle. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you and I cannot fight the battle for the faith. We cannot fight this battle by human means. It is not by our ability, our eloquent speech. It is not by our, 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 our uh, human wisdom. It is by the word of God that men are, are saved. Faith cometh by, the hear, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I want you to also realize that in, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul said, having done all, having done all. You see, you and I do have our part to do. God fights the battle, but he does expect us to engage the enemy. Amen? We have a part in this. We have our part to do. And once we've done our part, God does the rest. We're to trust that God will do what we cannot do. I cannot save a soul. I can go and witness to that person. I can, I can pray for that person. I can plead with that person, but I can't save that person. Only God can do that. And I must have the faith to know that I go do my part, and then having done all, God takes over and does the rest. Psalm 46, verses 7 through 11, we read, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow, and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Listen, don't, don't fret and worry about the liberal, the liberal politicians and, 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 and uh, Obama and all of the, you know, boxer. Uh, don't worry about all those people. The God says here, I will be exalted. Not maybe, he will be. And God is going to exalt himself, by the way. It's not you or me that's going to exalt him. He's going to exalt his own name. He's going to exalt himself. That's not our job to worry about. Our, our job is to live by faith. Our job is to, to contend for the faith within ourselves. Our job is to stand in faith. In Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 13, we read it. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, withstand in the evil, evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, we live by faith. We contend for the faith. We stand by faith. And then, letter D, fourthly, we overcome through faith. We overcome through faith. First John chapter 5 and verse 4, we read, for whatsoever is born of God. Now, let's stop right there. Are you born of God? Are you born of God? Are you saved? Okay. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Our faith, even our faith. We overcome through faith. You know, sometimes... Sometimes you feel like you've been beat up, don't you? I do sometimes. 
I stood yesterday. I stood in with with Zoe Sharon and with Dave Dave Sharon. I stood there with Steve and and the tears in their eyes and the hurt, the, the 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 pain in their heart. And I felt like you know, it's, there's just nothing I can say to these people. There's nothing nothing I can do to help them. But you know, we went and sat down and we we opened the Bible and. As I read the scriptures, I could see the faith and the hope in their eyes. And we overcome even the, even the most grievous moments in our life, even the most sorrowful moments in our life. We overcome through our faith. We have hope. We are not a hopeless people. We're not a helpless people. We overcome through faith. This is a very comforting truth that no matter what happens in this life, in the end, we have the victory. But this truth is even more than that. You see, we don't have to wait till the end to have the victory. We can have it right now. Our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil have no power over us. They can only control us if we allow them to control us. Listen, don't forget, you're a new creation, you're a new creature. God has given you. We talked about this right at the beginning of the lesson. Remember, the old nature was crucified with Christ. It died. Now the sinful nature no longer, no longer reigns in your body. Your flesh is still there, and your flesh still has the same cravings it had before, but you've got to understand something. <clears throat> the devil doesn't want you to understand this, because if you understand this, you can conquer him. What you need to understand is there is no more old nature in you. It died. It was crucified with Jesus on the cross. The flesh, though, still has cravings. And the, the flesh contends. You know, does the Bible say that the, that the, does the Bible say that the nature contends with the spirit? Or does it say that the, that the flesh battles with the spirit? Which one does it say? Don't you think if it was the nature that God would have told us that? It's not the old nature, because the old nature is dead. It, it was crucified with Christ. We've now been given the nature of Christ. We've been given a new nature. Exercise that new nature. You see, I taught the teenagers this. It's, it's called mortifying the flesh. God didn't eradicate the flesh. It's still with us. But it's been mortified. And the definition of mortification is to limit or control. And it's, it, I use, with the teenagers, I use the illustration. What do I use the illustration of, Brenda? Pit bull on a chain. The pit bull's chained to the tree. God says, all right, come here, pit bull. God takes the pit bull. Now, this isn't literal, okay? I'm, I'm using an illustration. You understand it, right? Chains him up to the tree, and God says, all right. Flesh is chained up. Stay away from it. Won't bite you. But what do we do? We can live over here away from the flesh and we can have we can conquer sin. We can grow in grace. We can we can mature as Christians. But what do we do? Uh, we go over and play with the dog, don't we? Yeah. And we tease him. He goes over there and we come over. <laughs> you know, sometimes at home Apollo gets the best of me. He's faster than I think sometimes. And all of a sudden, I've got a six-foot, 150-pound dog on me. 
And this is what happens, folks. See, what happens is we go play with sin. We go play with the flesh. We give in to the cravings. And we, we, go back, we go within the range of the dog, and then we get bit. So remember, when you sin, the devil didn't make you do it, and you didn't have to do it, you chose to do it. Because we don't have to live in defeat. We have victory, and we overcome through faith. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, and we'll be done. Back up just a couple of books in the Bible to Romans chapter 8, and we'll be finished. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 38. Beginning at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That's a good question. If we are God's children, if we are his elect saints, then who is going to lay any charge against us, seeing as how Jesus has already made full payment? Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? That's another good question. He says, because it is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So he's asked us, Who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna lay any charge at you? Who, who's going to condemn you? And then he asks another question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, so who's going to charge you with a crime? Who's going to condemn you? And who's going to take away the love of Christ from you? Who's going to remove Christ's love from you? And the answer is nobody. Nobody. Because... God justifies, Christ died, and in verse 35, we see that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's talking here about how, how many Christians were martyred. I mean, it was almost, it was, it was brutish what was done to Christian people. You ought to thank God you, don't, you didn't live in that day. Because in that day, you died for your faith. In our day, you get ridiculed, you get mocked, you get laughed at. In that day, you died. Verse 37, Paul says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Discipleship. Discipleship requires commitment, putting God first in all things. It requires conformity, living by the principles of Christ. It, it requires conduct, living a fruitful life. It re- requires compassion, love for and service to the brethren. And it requires continuance, living in and by faith. Are we disciples of Christ today? Are the characteristics that we've uh, studied over the past three weeks a part of our daily life? If so, then we can call ourselves disciples of Christ. If not, then we must submit to God and allow him to change our hearts and minds into the image of his Son. 
So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who fully follows the teaching of another. Are we disciples of Christ? Do we fully follow the principles and the teachings of the word of God? Or do we, do we pick and choose like a smorgasbord? That's a, that's a simple question. Are we disciples of Christ? Only you can answer it, by the way. Only you can answer it. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, close with that. And uh, let's all stand. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dismiss this in a word of prayer. We're not going to play any music. Uh, we're just going to dismiss in a word of prayer. Please remember to, uh, to, to pray for Zoe and, and Dave and uh, Dave Morrow here and the entire family. Pray, pray for them and do more than just pray. Uh, let them know uh, that, that you're there to, for them if they need anything. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would learn to assimilate your word into our lives and change the things in our lives that do not conform to your word. Lord, we desire to be your disciples, so help us to, help us to walk and live as we, as we must if we want to be disciples. And Lord, you will be glorified in all these things, and we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If